think back to that sunrise mountaintop gospel reading we had just a few moments ago. In that scripture reading, um, there were three people who were named in that story aside from Jesus himself. Mary Magdalene, Simon Peter, and John. Imagine Mary Magdalene on that Sunday morning. She's not the same person as Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's a different one. She's not, to our knowledge, a prostitute, as some stories have suggested. She's just Mary from the village of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. And Jesus had changed her life. Jesus had set her free from seven demons, the story tells us. And what must that have been like, that evil tainting her life every day? And after that, after he set her free, everything changed. She could see clearly. She could think clearly. It was like she had free will again, not these chains wrapped around her soul, dragging her down. Of course, she's a woman. And so she really doesn't matter quite as much in the world. But money helps, and she and other wealthy women whose lives have been changed by Jesus, they've invested, and they've actually helped to pay the bills, to be honest, for Jesus and his disciples. That's how much they believe in Jesus, in his life, and in his message. Jesus had said that women had worth. He, he defended a different Mary when she chose learning over housework. He said she had chosen the better thing like the men and nobody would take that away from her. When somebody once responded to his teaching by calling out how blessed his mother must be to have a son like him, he said, well, actually, anyone who hears God's word and obeys it is blessed. He said blessings for women didn't depend on having a son or a husband. No one had ever treated them that way with respect. No rabbi had ever welcomed them as students who could travel with their rabbi like Jesus had. I mean, even this one woman with a bad reputation, that Samaritan woman by the well, Jesus talked with her about theology, like she had a brain, like she was worth noticing, like, like she was fully human. And truthfully, as Mary Magdalene had watched Jesus and had listened to Jesus and had seen how he treated women, she had found hope that she didn't even know she was looking for. And although it was a mind-boggling thought, Jesus claimed to know God. He even hinted that he, that he was God. And if that was true, then maybe God didn't see her as second class. Maybe God was like Jesus. And then the past week unfolded and that parade into Jerusalem, it really ticked off the religious leaders. And then that confrontation in the temple, it just, it just made it worse. And although only Rome could, could order a crucifixion, everybody knew it was the religious leaders, the ones who said they represented God. They, they led the charge. And so she watched him die. And her hope died with him. 
you know, he had been wonderful, but it was over. His words had been life-giving, but maybe not quite accurate. And it was unthinkable, but really the only thing left for her then would be to return to her life as a woman who wasn't quite as important as others with her word carrying no weight at all. And she wanted to say it was fine, but it wasn't fine. It wasn't fine at all. And she was desperate with grief. And so on that third day, she went to the tomb early in the morning and her eyes were blinded by tears and the body was gone and there were two angels there and they spoke to her and that didn't even really register. She just wanted to know where Jesus' body was. And Simon, Peter and John, they were no help at all. And then there was this gardener nearby and he seemed kind. He seemed sympathetic. And so she asked him, just begged him for the information. Please, do you just know where the body is? And then the gardener said her name, Mary. And, and it was him. It was Jesus. And he wasn't dead. He was alive and he's just standing there smiling at her and and looking at her in the eye. And then, and then he gives her the simplest instruction. He just says, go tell the boys, (laughs) go, go tell them, you know, as if, as if her word meant something, as if her word carried weight that she, a woman, was entrusted to be the first person to proclaim this incredible news, Jesus is alive. And in that moment, it was confirmed, shouted from the heavens for all intents and purposes that women mattered, that they were created in the image of God, just like men, that they were called to bear witness to the truth of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, that their word could be trusted, that it was essential, actually, and that God knew their names. And still today, there are people who, for whatever reason, have been told they don't matter quite as much that their word doesn't quite carry as much weight as someone else's. Their names are easily forgotten. Sometimes that message even comes from religious leaders who presumably are sincere, but perhaps they're mistaken in their understanding of Jesus. And so whether it's someone's gender or age or ethnicity, or their job, or their physical appearance, or their ability, or their intelligence, our world ranks people very quickly without kindness and without dignity. But Jesus, Jesus is different. Hmm. Jesus knows your name. Jesus gives you a voice. And he invites you, he invites every one of us to bear witness, to represent, to proclaim the truth of the risen Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Imagine Simon Peter 
Simon, the fisherman feeding his family, looking after his in-laws, called by Jesus to be his disciple. Simon had a history of just not getting it. If you don't allow me to wash your feet, Jesus said, you'll have no part in me. You'll deny me three times, Jesus said, and was proven to be correct, even after being the first to jump out of the boat, the first to cut off the high priest's ear. Peter was the one to deny Jesus before the court officials, to deny that he even knew Jesus at all. Peter, the one who Jesus invited to follow him out to walk on the water, but who nearly drowned from his own weak faith. Yet to this impulsive man of questionable faith, loyalty, and obedience, Jesus gave the name the rock or the stone. When Jesus said that his disciples would form a new body, a new temple of living stones, it seemed as though Peter, with all of his faults, would be a cornerstone. The Catholic tradition places Peter as the first bishop of Rome and ancestor of all popes. In our passage, Mary goes first to Peter. John runs faster than Peter, as we'll no doubt be reminded of by John over here. But John waits for Peter's authority before entering the tomb. Jesus appoints Peter as the leader of the movement. And with all his faults, he was simply putting one foot after the next. And the others followed. Do you relate to Peter? Are you impulsive, quick to impress, always there in the public fight, but in the quiet place, God knows your weakness. Yet perhaps God has still called you to be a mother, a father, a teacher, a director, an elected representative, a leader, Hmm. a servant. God knows your weakness. And as a mentor, a wise mentor uh, once said to me, With appointment comes anointment. For me as a young man living in England, it took a whole team of Christian brothers to lead me in a study of the scriptures and eventually to a moment where I could face a direct question about my faith in Jesus. As I watched the church so often from the back of the room or the top of the gallery, I said to myself quietly, Lord Jesus, If you are who these people say you are, then it may be that I've never really known you before. Please come into my life. And from that day onward, I have relied on my sisters and brothers in the church, just as Peter did, to grab a hold of me, to turn me around and set me on a right path towards him. For me, that moment of decision to give my life to Jesus has gone on a little like Peter. I've had ups and downs, and yet still God has seen fit to ask me to lead. What is God asking you today? How could this Easter morning, this moment, be like that run to the empty tomb for you? Out of breath, disoriented, led by those who look up to you, like your children or your spouse or your co-workers, how could you receive a Peter spirit 
on this Easter morning and know that the resurrected Jesus is counting on you. He trusts you. He will use your sisters and your brothers like Mary and John to show you the way, to wait for you at the door of your heart on which the Savior knocks, saying, open to me, and I will come in and eat with you. On you, O Peter, my rock, I will build my church. Imagine John. John writes himself into this story as the other disciple. He's unnamed. He's under the radar. He's somewhat hidden. And maybe you can relate to John in that way. Maybe you quietly go about your life doing your business, doing your thing, contributing to society, contributing to people around you, present yet content to be under the radar. Millions of people around the world can be categorized as unnamed disciples. Uh, no one knows their names. No one has seen their faces. They've never been on TV. Uh, most don't have a social media account, and yet they're following Jesus faithfully in some of the most difficult places. Being known isn't what brought life to John. Knowing Jesus is what brought life to John. There's a big difference. And yet, we feel John's excitement in that day. I mean, he runs past Peter to get to the tomb. He's excited. He's passionately trying to discover if this news about the one he has followed and listened to is really, really true. And though he arrives at the tomb first, he waits, he pauses. Peter walks by him. Maybe John is cautious. Maybe John is hesitant. Maybe he's anxious. Maybe he's just overwhelmed with the moment and just pauses and doesn't know what to do next. And as Peter walks in, then soon after John walks in, and something so significant happens as he finally enters that tomb. We read that he sees and he believes. He sees what has taken place, the empty tomb, and he believes. It's incredible. He sees for himself. All of a sudden, some of the gaps that were in his mind, maybe even in his heart, started to get filled. Maybe some of the pieces started to come together. Maybe an understanding of what Jesus was saying all along, what Jesus was pointing to, what Jesus was letting them understand was starting to come together. And he realizes in that moment, maybe in the strongest sense, who Jesus really has been all along and now who he really is. In some way, he moves to another stage of his faith. You know, people come to faith and we call it a conversion moment. And sometimes there's many conversion moments and there's a couple of significant ones. And it seems like this one was one for John. You know, what fascinates me about John isn't the day that he sees and believes, but the days and life that follow after that. The impact of John's experience that day follows him into his life. 
And unlike Peter and Mary, we get to see John later on in his life. We get to meet up with him as an old man in his 70s and 80s. As Peter follows Jesus, we know from history that he becomes a martyr for the faith. He actually is crucified for following Jesus. We see a little bit of Mary's life, but don't get to see it too much further down the road. But John, we get to meet him in his older years. John writes again in his 70s or so. And he writes to a new generation of, um, of seekers, a new generation of followers of Jesus. And he lets them know what he saw and what he heard and what he received and what he believed. And he lets them know all about Jesus, his life and his teachings, his death and his resurrection and what it did for him and others who put their faith in him. He writes in this later letter in his life, he says, writing this to you so you will also have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father and with the Son. John lets them in on all the stories, on all the accounts, because by doing that, they can also see and believe and not just have fellowship with him, but truly have fellowship with God and fellowship with Jesus. And John goes on to live not just an extended life, which is great, but a life that is full and a life that has a unique quality to it now because he is in Jesus, because he has seen and believed in Christ. In fact, in that letter, he writes a simple thing. He says, those whom have the son have life and those who don't have the son don't have life. He's come to recognize over decades now that Jesus is the difference in his own life and that the new and qualitatively, qualitative life is found in Christ. In fact, John told us earlier on in his gospel, he heard Jesus's words. Jesus specifically said to his disciples, those who see and believe will have eternal life. And that's just not some pipe dream in heaven that one day when we die, we get to heaven. It is this eternal life was, was something that could start in that moment as people put their trust in Christ and started to believe in him and trust in him and truly discover the life that he had for them starting then and now. And it happened for John. He saw, he believed, he received, and he lived into it. And it all went back to that resurrection day. It all went back to that moment. He gets called to the tomb and he sees for himself and he believes. You know, resurrection was not just a day in John's life. Resurrection was a day that changed the rest of John's life. It made the difference and he carried it into his days and into his future and into his eternity. And maybe this can be the same thing for you watching today. And I just ask you the question, uh, are you ready to see? Are you ready to believe? Are you ready to receive? So you can begin living this new life now. And that's the invitation we invite you to today, to see, to believe. Maybe you've related to each of these stories in different ways. My invitation to you at the end is, how do you respond to these stories? How do you respond to Mary's life and Peter's life and John's life and their response to the resurrected Jesus? So we're going we're gonna to pray in just a moment. 
And as we pray, we're going to walk through three movements. The movement of being sorry, the movement of being thankful, and the movement of invitation where we say please. So would you pray with us as we do that? Maybe these are some of the steps of discovery that Mary, Peter, and John also walked through and countless of people who've come to know Jesus have. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we relate to either Peter, Mary, John, or in some way to this incredible story, first we say sorry, because we recognize even as we look into the life of Christ, that there's so many ways that we have not followed you, that there's so many ways that we have done things or left things undone that have been hurtful to others, hurtful to ourselves, and ultimately in rebellion to you. And so we say sorry. Sorry for the times that we've detoured away from the life that you're calling us to. Sorry for the times that we have been blind to the invitation that you give us. Sorry for the prideful ways that we've often wanted to go about it our way in disregard that you're inviting us into a new life and a new way. And so for many of us today, in the different points of our journey, God, we say sorry. Amen. And God, at this moment, we just say thank you. Thank you that you are not a God that is some distant philosophy without a connection to us personally. You you are a God who knows our name. You are a God who gives us voice. You are a God who, who walks us through. Um, even on the moments when we stumble and the moments when we aren't sure, you are the God that is still there and you are the God that gives eternal life right now and, and is present with us throughout life. We say thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection that, that gives validity and credibility to everything you taught, Jesus. And thank you that you give us this moment today to Amen. choose how we'll respond to that. Amen. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And therefore, oh God, we say please. Please, O oh Heavenly Father, as your child, I pray, and we invite you to pray. God, please come into our lives afresh this morning. Mm. Yes, Jesus. As we think of the story of Mary and Peter and John, we know that each of us responds to you, Lord, in so many different ways. But we pray this morning, that you would hear our cry, please, Lord, from heaven. And we pray that having been reminded that our Lord Jesus Christ is alive and reigns with you, we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit mm. that you would come and fill each one of us. Fill us first with the power that only comes from you to be able to declare not only that Jesus is Lord, but that if he really is who these disciples say you are, then we pray, Lord, that we would know you this day and always. 
Amen. Amen.